the older our nation becomes, the more religiously diverse we become. And that's significant for a number of reasons, but as for today's topic, it's particularly significant with respect to the balance that our nation strikes between the Establishment Clause contained in the First Amendment and the Free Exercise Clause contained in the First Amendment. The First Amendment states that Congress shall pass no law respecting an establishment of religion. The First Amendment also states, however, that Congress shall guarantee the free exercise of religion of every individual in this country. And so I like to portray the two as a tension between no establishment of religion but allowing the free exercise religion of every individual. Uh, the tension prior to 1947 when the United States Supreme Court issued its seminal decision, Everson versus Board of Education, was a little different. Prior to 1947, the tension really focused on the national government as the First Amendment states because it specifically refers to Congress shall now pass no law respecting an establishment of religion. So prior to 1947, the Supreme Court interpreted that clause correctly. It stated that Congress shall pass no law respecting the establishment of religion, which specifically means, in particular, no church. Uh, and when you think about the history of America, that's not surprising. And in fact, the United States Supreme Court decision issued just in January of 2012, the Hosanna Tabor case, traced the history of the, of the First Amendment and discussed the religious persecution that took place in England in particular that the founders were well aware of. And that persecution was focused primarily on the fact that there was a national church. And if you didn't adhere to the national church, you could be persecuted, you were excluded from society. The national church also dictated governmental policies. And the founders, well aware of that history and the persecution that it led to and the infringement on liberty that it led to, created something different in America. And what they created and embodied in the First Amendment was the freedom of everybody to worship according to the dictates of their conscience, the freedom to express their religious viewpoints in the public square, because our founding fathers certainly did it time and again. George Washington, our first president, in his farewell address, specifically talked about the religion as the indispensable supports of our political prosperity. The very first thing he did as president was actually issue a, a proclamation and day of fasting to our, our Lord and God. And so from the very outset, religion played an important part, and they understood that that was not what the First Amendment prohibited. The First Amendment protected that kind of expression. So today we have a tension, and how is that tension resolved? Well, in 1947, the United States Supreme Court issued that decision, Everson, which for the first time said suddenly the Establishment Clause didn't just apply to Congress, it applied to every governmental entity in the country. And that included the littlest town village and every single school board of a public school in America. And so suddenly schools were having to think, as they hadn't before, of, wait a minute, is my conduct going to violate the First Amendment? If we allow this prayer to voluntarily take place on my school campus, am I violating the Establishment Clause? Am I establishing a church suddenly? And those were questions that the schools did not have to think about prior to that, unless for some local reason they were considering that. So how has the court resolved that tension? And that's what I'd like to take a look at today. Let's start with the public schools, and then we'll briefly deal with private schools. First with the public schools, let's start with students. Uh, since there are a lot of students in the public schools, what are their rights? And the Supreme Court has continued to change their understanding of the rights of, of students on public school campuses, but for the most part, there are some principles that are uniformly understood. And so what are those? The most basic principle is that students retain First Amendment rights when they walk into the schoolhouse doors of public schools. And so what are some of those rights that all the courts seem to be acknowledging? Well, at its most basic, students have the right during non-class time to express their religious viewpoints. 
So if they're in the lunchroom, they can talk to their friends about religious matters. They should be able to open up a religious book, including the Bible, and read it with their classmates if that's what they're doing during lunchtime. They should be able to hand a note to their friend in the hallway during non-class time, and it should be able to contain religious material in the same way it could contain non-religious material. Uh, so the, the general rule is during non-class time, you can't exclude religious discussion as long as you allow other discussion. And schools certainly allow other discussion during recess and during other class times on the buses. All of this is allowed. When you get into the classroom, it changes a little bit. And the basic policy is a student should be allowed to express their religious viewpoints in answering questions or turning in homework as long as it's relevant. So if the teacher asks you to do a report on a significant historical figure, you should be allowed to pick a historical biblical figure in the same way you would pick a character or figure that was not contained in the Bible. If the paper asks you to address a particular social concern of the day, you should be able to include a religious viewpoint on that as part of your paper as long as it is responsive to the homework. Um, and so to the extent a school would suddenly say that your homework it can't be turned in containing religious materials, even though it's responsive, the school is engaging in discrimination. Uh, we've seen different cases with regard to artwork, homework, uh, answering questions in class, and the courts are pretty clear that the students should be able to engage in religious discussion. Uh, similarly, the students should be able to ask a question that has a religious tone to it if it's relevant to the class and not disruptive to the class. That's another standard. It can't be disruptive to class. So if you're in the biology classroom and a student happens to raise their hand and, and ask specifically, well, what about the idea that there's an intelligent designer uh, that is an acceptable question in the science classroom because it relates to the specific topic of the day. Um, similarly, students have other rights. Uh, they can pray voluntarily at graduation. They can pray voluntarily with their um, teammates uh, before a football game or basketball game. So the student voluntary prayer where you're not specifically chosen uh, by a group to pray, uh, but you just engage in voluntary prayer, students have the right to do that. Um, teachers, the law isn't as clear, so let's transition to teachers for just a moment. Uh, there isn't very much case law on the issue, and you, what you have to recognize is the courts are going to view the teachers as part of the administration. And so, because they're part of the administration, they're part of this governmental entity, and now teachers suddenly have the same duty to make sure that they aren't promoting or inhibiting religion, being hostile to religion. And so teachers' rights aren't as clear, but there have been a few cases uh, in lower courts that lay out some things that teachers should be able to do. One thing teachers should be able to do is if a student asks specifically a question, and if the answer is properly involving a religious message, the teacher can, can give that message. So for example, if it's, you're talking about civic duty, and you mention that you engage in the local soup, help out at the local soup kitchen, and a student asks you why you do that, if the reason you do that is to demonstrate Christ's love to those in need, you should be able to give that answer in the classroom. Uh, and so those type of things, responding to a student's question, you should be able to do. Uh, also, teachers should be able to pray in the faculty lounge if it's apart a from where students can see you. They should be able to lead a Bible study, some courts have said, on public school grounds during non-class time. So if your school allows after-school clubs, you should be allowed to be the leader, for example, of the Bible club or the Good News Club, even though it meets on your school, because you're no longer a teacher at that those times. You're not a teacher 24-7 as far as being perceived as a governmental actor. One decision even held that a school board member who was speaking at graduation, because he was speaking as the father of the valedictorian and not as the member of the school board, he was allowed to give a prayer and religious talk at graduation because he was an individual at that time, a father, 
who was chosen as the father of the valedictorian and not a school board member. And so the rights aren't as clear, they're not as extensive, uh, but certainly if you're teaching on American heritage, it would be particularly relevant for you to discuss the rich religious heritage of our nation, and that should be allowed. It gets a little more touchy when you get into the creation versus evolution debate. Uh, there's been a few court decisions in that area from the lower courts, and for the most part, if a school district implements a policy that it's going to be evolution only, uh, teachers probably have to follow that. Although I certainly would encourage you to do some research and contact an organization that could help you understand your rights more if you get yourself into that situation. Administrators, again, there aren't a lot of decisions with regard to administrators, but the big thing I'd like to convey to those who might be future school administrators is you've got a very delicate line to um, walk. You have to consider that the Establishment Clause is a concern for you, but what you have to know is the Establishment Clause not only prohibits favoring religion, it prohibits you being hostile to religion. So when you're making decisions about what teachers can do and what teach and students can do, you have to make sure that you're also not being hostile to religion. So let the students engage in voluntary religious speech, allow the Bible clubs to be formed, uh, allow your teachers to engage in activities sort of out of the place of students uh, in the faculty lounge with a Bible study. Teachers can also participate in the national um, See You at the Poll event, for example. They can't lead the event, but they can be there and participate. It has to be a student-led event. Uh, and so you need, to, you need to be very up on what the current law is and understand that often the tendency of many organizations out there is to encourage you to be hostile to religion and you have an opportunity to make sure that you allow the free exercise of religion of both your teachers and students in the schools. Um, let's switch just very briefly to private schools. Unfortunately, uh, for you, the, the rights if you're in a private school are much more limited. And the reason's very simple. The First Amendment applies to governmental actors. And when you're in a private school, there is no governmental actor. So if you decide to work for a private school or go to a private school as a student, um, you can be required to adhere to whatever their principles or policies are, their beliefs are. Uh, on the other hand of that, you, you can look at it in the perspective of that organization has the right to hire employees who are going to follow and promote its principles. If you don't agree with those principles, uh, then perhaps you need to find a different organization to work for. Uh, saying all of that, you need to be aware, though, that the school, this school, even though it's a private school, is still subject to breach of contract. So if you had a contractual provision as a teacher that had to follow a particular protocol before they could let you go and they failed to follow that, you could still have a breach of contract claim. What you can't necessarily do is assert your First Amendment rights because you don't have any in the private school context. Uh, and similarly, as administrators uh, of private schools, again, you, you have to draw that balance of what were you hired to do, what are the organization's principles, and what are you going to do to adhere to those. Uh, so again, while they still could be subject to criminal laws, breach of contract tracts, certain tortious claims, for the most part, uh, the free speech rights are much more limited in the private school context because they are an organization that is allowed to limit speech to be consistent with the organization's principles and values. Uh, so the law is always changing, uh, so I encourage you, if you're going to be an administrator, teacher uh, it, of a school, to find a way to stay uh, up on these issues, and certainly uh, feel free to contact organizations that give advice in this area so you can make sure you're making the right decision employment-wise, as a teacher, as an administrator. Uh, and also, you can play a vital role in ensuring, particularly as a teacher, that students are allowed to engage in the free expression of their religious beliefs and worship their God according to the dictates of their conscience.